the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Team. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the ninth morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Really appreciate you being here. A lot of important work to do today. A couple of good guests coming up in about uh, less than 10 minutes, actually. Well, we'll give them 13 minutes, to be more precise. We'll give them a little more than 10 to get on the line. Uh, Secretary of State in the state of Ohio, Frank LaRoe, is going to join us because early voting starts today. He's going to cast his vote at about 1030 you know, talk about the uh, May primary in the state of Ohio. Probably not a lot of issues, probably not a lot of statewide stuff that you may have been uh, uh, concerned with. And I don't know if you plan on voting. These types of elections very, very often have very, very low turnout. We know that. But we're going to talk to Frank about why it is you should consider going out there and get your early vote in. Uh, you're going to have a month to do this. And then, of course, in May. Uh, on Election Day. Hopefully we will have a good turnout. So we're going to talk about that and also about voting, period, in general, such as things like voter identification. What do you need to cast a vote in Ohio? And we'll find out if uh, Secretary LaRose um, believes in voter ID laws requiring photo ID to cast votes in local, state, or federal elections. We'll talk to him at about 9.20. Then at 10.05, you know what Tuesday is. It's Cursinow Day, and that makes it a great day. It's kind of like a holiday for all of us when we get to sit back and be educated by the brilliant uh, Peter Cursinow. He'll join us at about 10.05 today. I uh, want to start with the state of Florida and the ACLU. Let's just got to get this out here briefly, because I got I can't dig into the attack on Vice President Mike Pence by Democratic mayor and presidential candidate um, Pete uh, Buttigieg. We're we're not able to do that yet because it's going to take a lot more time. Uh, I'll get into that in the second half hour of this first hour after nine thirty. But there is an attack on Mike Pence for being Christian by 
a Democrat who also says he's Christian. But because he's gay and he is looking for victim status, he has to pretend that he is being discriminated against. He has to pretend that there are people out there who hate him, who want to do terrible things to him, in order to claim that most important status of Democrats in uh, 2019, victim status. That's, that's just it. I mean, honestly. Victim status is more important in 2019 in a world where everyone is offended by being offended, where offensiveness is the number one issue in almost everything. Victim status matters. It's why Jussie Smollett pretended to get beat up because I'm black. I'm a victim and I'm gay. I'm twice the victim that you are. It's intersectionality at its finest. We see this over and over and over again with various classes of victim status, all competing to see who can be the most victimized, because the most victimized gets the most sympathy, and the most sympathy gets the most support, and the most support gets the most votes, and the most votes gets the win. So Pete uh, Buttigieg is essentially uh, trying to claim victim status uh, from Mike Pence, and Mike Pence hasn't said word one about Pete uh, Buttigieg. So we're going to talk about that coming up uh, after 9.30, but I want to start with Florida. If you did not hear this nonsense yet, the state of Florida is about to pass a bill, or at least is considering a bill, that would outlaw sanctuary cities in the state of Florida. Ooh, what a ghastly idea that is, right? Uh it's going to outlaw, if it, if it passes, the withholding of information by local law enforcement from all of them act as such by uh, uh, forbidding their officers from holding individuals who are requested to be detained by ICE and from passing along information about, about immigration status to ICE. So essentially they're going to wipe out sanctuary cities in Florida, either in name or in practice. And that has prompted the ACLU to come out with this ridiculous statement via Twitter yesterday. The ACLU has issued a travel advisory telling people of color, you don't want to go to Florida. It's evil down there. It's draconian. No, no, they used the word draconian. Here's the tweet from the ACLU yesterday. Breaking, we and partners have issued a travel advisory urging immigrants and people of color to use extreme caution when traveling to Florida. The state is on the verge of passing a draconian anti-immigrant bill which will endanger our communities. Holy goodness. (laughs) It's dangerous to go to a place where the law is enforced. We can't be having uh, law enforcement actually practicing law enforcement. That's dangerous for our communities. What are you saying, ACLU? What are you saying? That your communities are illegal? Because it would make no sense whatsoever to claim that you're in danger of law enforcement if you're not violating laws. What a shocking revelation that must be to you. We and partners have issued a travel advisory urging immigrants and people of color. By the way, what does that mean? Immigrants and people of color. 
And, and by the way, once again, they continually leave off the modifier. They refuse to use the word illegal in front of immigrants, which is the only reason anybody would be in, uh, uh, need to be worried about being approached by law enforcement. If you're obeying the law, no matter what color you are, you have nothing to worry about. But they're saying that immigrants and people of color, meaning what? Citizens and legal residents who happen to be people of color, use extreme caution because of a draconian anti-immigrant, again, they leave off illegal, bill, which will endanger our communities? What are you saying? That if Orlando police coordinate and practice law together with the federal law enforcement agencies, suddenly your state is now a dangerous place for people who are of color? The law is the law. Law enforcement is law enforcement. The ACLU's tweet comes in light of the state's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis urging Florida's legislature to pass laws that would ban sanctuary cities. Gasp. The laws would prevent police departments from refusing to cooperate with immigration and customs enforcement, federal law enforcement, in apprehending illegal immigrants. Florida has one of the largest illegal immigrant populations in the nation, estimated at more than 700,000 people. The ACLU of Florida said that the state's recent push for anti-sanctuary city law in the form of Senate Bill 168, quote, raises several constitutional concerns and tramples on the civil rights and liberties of actual or perceived immigrants. Once again, immigrants who are here not illegally have zero to worry about. Immigrants who are here illegally deserve exactly what law enforcement does. The enforcement of law. Shocking, right? SB 168 requires every Florida county and municipality to expand maximum local resources. To expand, rather, maximum local resources to enforce federal immigration law and participate in civil liberties violations. Yeah, that's exactly what the law says. I'm certain that's in the language. SB 168, let's violate the civil liberties of legal Floridians. No, no, doesn't say that, and it doesn't do that. But the ACLU still wrote, moreover, it does not provide any funding or reimbursement for its costly mandate. Specifically, this bill provides that no state entity, law enforcement agency, local government government entity, state university, or representative thereof may adopt or have a sanctuary policy. Mm, yup. Is there a problem with that? In other words, all of our state entities must follow the law. Once again, insert gasp here. The bill passed Florida's Infrastructure and Security Committee last March will be voted on both uh, uh, voted on by both chambers before May third. DeSantis, the governor, is a proponent of border security. Obviously, and he promised voters he would push for legislation to require Florida businesses to use E-Verify. Amen! That should be federal. Should be required in every state. The federal database that checks to make sure that new hires are eligible to work in the United States, i.e. they are here legally. Stopping sanctuary cities is one of the goals, and that is exactly what the government is supposed to be doing. The ACLU calls that draconian. What a shocking 
turn of events. We'll come back to that and get your thoughts on it if you have some at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You can also tweet to me or Facebook comment to me at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores. I'd love to hear from you in one of those forums. I will read worthy tweets and Facebook comments on the air. And coming up in just a few minutes, as noted, Secretary of State in the, in the uh, great state of Ohio, Frank LaRoe, is going to talk to us about early voting, which starts today. He'll be coming up next right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Be better. All right, onward we roll. It's 922 now, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, don't forget, Peter Kersenow joins us at the top of the hour. Tuesday is Kersenow Day. That is always a great day with our friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Let's welcome another friend of the program now, the Secretary of State of the great state of Ohio, Frank LaRose, joining us. Good morning, Secretary LaRose. How are you? Hey, good morning, Bob. Glad to be on the show. Uh, it's good to have you here. So uh, uh, it's voting day, kind of, sort of. It's not actually the May primary in the state of Ohio, but we can start voting today, yes? It's exciting, yeah. So I was just uh, thinking, you know, the birds are singing, the, the flowers are starting to pop up. I've finally taken those annoying uh, side marker snowplow indicators off the side of my driveway. It must be spring in Ohio, and uh, that also means that voting begins today. We have 28 days of early voting, and uh, it's easier to vote in Ohio than almost any other state in the country. We should be proud of that, and there's really no good excuse for not voting in Ohio, and it all starts today for the May primary. Yeah, and you know how these things go, of course. Um, you know, a lot of these non-presidential cycles and these non-congressional uh, you know, uh, uh, Congre- congressional race cycles, they don't tend to get a lot of turnout in Ohio or anywhere else. And I know you, as Secretary of State, are committed to, to changing that. You really want people to go out there and vote in these very important local elections. There's local judges. There are school boards uh, that have levies on the ballot. There's municipal elections. Uh, it's important for people to get out there, isn't it? The things that are going to really impact your quality of life in a lot of ways, the way that your children are educated, the way that your community is policed, uh, the, the judges that decide who goes to jail and, and who goes free. I mean, those are decisions that are, that are made in, in these, uh, what some people call off-year elections. There's no such thing as an off-year. I mean, it's, it's an important set of decisions that are in front of us. And that's why I'm on the radio today encouraging every Ohioan to participate in early voting uh, beginning today. All the info is available at myohiovote.com. And not every community has a, a, a spring election if there's nobody filed to run in a contested primary or if there are no uh, levies or ballot issues, then you may not have one in your community, but many do. And so check with your county board of elections, uh, check their website or, or, or call uh, or check my office, uh, which is myohiovote.com. And, and uh, you get all the information there about how to participate in early voting. You know, I'm looking at it right now, as a matter of fact. We're talking to Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. There's so many different uh, important uh, links here. You can register to vote uh, at my, uh, myohiovote.com. Change your address if that's what you need to, need to do to make sure that you're current uh, with your polling places, uh, as well as all of the different ways you can vote. Early person, uh, early in-person voting, absentee voting, vote on Election Day. There's provisional ballot. I mean, I think you're right, uh, Secretary LaRose, when you say there is no excuse not to vote in this May primary because it has been made so easy by the state. Ohio is a, is a real leader in the nation on early voting. Uh, with 28 days of early voting, that's over 200 hours that you have that you can cast a ballot, including evening and weekend hours. 
uh, really convenient hours at your Board of Elections. Again, those are available on, on my website, myohiovote.com as well. And in Ohio, we have uh, uh, weekend voting on Saturday. Only 20 other states allow uh, weekend voting. And we're one of only five states that has Sunday voting. So a lot of folks after church, uh, they like to head to, to the County Board of Elections to cast their ballot. It's a great thing to do. Uh, uh, get your friends together uh, after, after, after you leave church and, and head to the polls. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a great way to do it. Uh, and so in Ohio, a lot of good options. And if you wait until Election Day, May 7th, you're going to be greeted at your neighborhood location by one of your neighbors is going to help you through the process. It's really simple. And uh, again, no good reason to sit it out. Tell us about, if you would, Secretary LaRose, about voter ID. Do you have to show a photo identification when you go and cast your vote? And in your opinion, should we have to show voter ID? I know it's a big issue, obviously, at the federal level. Uh, Myself and a lot of other people believe in uh, proving who you are with a state-issued identification in order to cast votes to make sure that uh, every vote, every election is on the up and up. Uh, What's Ohio's policy? So for a long time, Ohio has had a policy in place that, that, that by the way, is uh, is pretty good. And, and other states have adopted things like it. Uh, the state of Texas uh, just a few years ago adopted a policy that's almost identical to what Ohio has. And so what Ohio requires is that you bring a government-issued photo ID when you come to vote. Uh, if you do not have that, there are alternatives that you can use. Uh, such as a government document that shows your name and, and your voting address, a utility bill, that kind of thing. And, you know, we uniformly in, enforce that throughout the state of Ohio, and, and I believe that that uh, does a good job of preventing people from in, uh, impersonating somebody else when they come to the polls. That's the, that's the real key there. But one of the most important things that we can do to prevent fraud in Ohio is maintain accurate lists. And that's why, uh, you know, there's some things that I'm trying to do to modernize that process to make sure that we have an accurate voter list. And perhaps the most important thing we can do is maintaining the accuracy of that voter list. But uh, you're right. What, what Ohio has is is a uh, requirement that you show an ID, but there is an alternative uh, if you don't have one. And we know that there are tens of thousands of Ohioans that don't. Many of them, by the way, are um, senior citizens that have stopped driving, and so they haven't been updating their, their driver's license. And so in many cases, they have an out-of-date driver's license, which would not count. Uh, and so then they would have to you know, bring that alternative uh, ID. You know what's interesting about that, if I may, is just that a driver's license that is outdated but still has the photo, wouldn't that be more... Uh, secure in identifying and truly, uh, uh, you know, recognizing someone for who they are than a bill that doesn't, uh, you know, a utility bill or another document through Chamba that doesn't even have a photo. Yeah, you know, and, and, and again, I, I think that that would count as one of the as one of the items. But the, the the point is that there's a variety of different things that you can bring. The vast majority of Ohioans do bring a, a photo ID. Uh, that's uh, that's the norm. If you go into any of the hundreds and hundreds of polling places in Ohio, you will see people presenting their their photo ID when they come up. Uh, the new check-in process with the electronic poll books, they many of them even have a a swipe where they can sort of swipe your ID uh, as a way to uh, to check in and, and that kind of thing. So that's the that's the, the the most common way that people verify their identity when they when they come in to vote and. Uh, Again, the process that we have in Ohio is, is pretty good, uh, and, and I think it's a pretty secure process. Of course, we're always looking for ways to make it more secure. The problem is that in some states where they have implemented strict photo ID, where there's nothing else, there's no sort of alternative identity available, um, those have almost all been struck down by the courts, and so we're not looking to 
engage in an exercise in futility. We want to make sure that what we have is something that's constitutional. And, and Ohio's system is, is tried, and, tried and tested for that. Uh, we do a, uh, an investigation uh, in Ohio to, to make sure that there are no uh, incidents of, 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 uh, of voter fraud occurring. And, and when we find them, we refer them for prosecution. It's something that my office takes very seriously. And the good news is that voter fraud is relatively rare. Sometimes people tend to overemphasize it. It happens. It's never acceptable. We will prosecute for it as soon as we find it happening. But uh, it is it is relatively rare, and that's the good news. Yeah, yes, indeed it is. And uh, again, once again, just underscoring it, it is very easy to vote in Ohio. The uh, May primary is coming up. The May election cycle starts today because of 28 days of early voting starting today. You'll be voting a little bit later this morning, right? My wife and I are heading down to Akron to the Summit County Board of Elections. Looking forward to seeing the team there. And uh, we'll be casting our our early vote uh, this very morning. If you have any questions at all about how to vote, when you can vote, where to vote, how to register, and change your address, all those things, like uh, the Secretary said, go to myohiovote.com, myohiovote.com. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thanks very much for all the very important information, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Appreciate it. You got it. it. Have, have a great day, sir. Thank you so much. That's Secretary of State Frank LaRose on AM 1420. The answer, it's 930, which means news time next on AM 1420. <laughs> It is at 935. Peter Kirsten now comes up in about a half an hour on AM 1420. The answer, you're going to want to be around for that conversation. So I want to get to this, um, and it's interesting because uh, it's going to be, nice, and I have a nice symbiotic relationship here, I suppose, because Peter Kirsten now this morning wants to talk about the attack on religious liberty in a number of areas and venues, uh, and we'll talk about that. But uh, let's talk about the attack specifically on Christianity by a self-proclaimed Christian. I teased this before in the first half hour of the program. There is a rising uh, star. I think I think Hugh Hewitt called the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, on MSNBC over the weekend a rocket ship ascending in the Democrat uh, primary field. The uh, mayor of South Bend is Pete Buttigieg, who um, is indeed gathering a lot of attention. And now he's trying to gather what Democrats and liberals most want. He's trying to gather victim status. He is trying to make sure that everybody knows he's gay. And as a gay man, he is attacked relentlessly for being gay. And he's trying to prove that point by responding to attacks that have never been made. That's right. Pete Buttigieg has decided that he is going after the Vice President of the United States, trying to kind of strike an early tone in the Democratic primary uh, fight, in the Democrat race. He's not attacking fellow Democrats. He's going right for Donald Trump, trying to show this is how I will combat President Trump and Vice President Pence in a general election which is certainly you know, something that most of the rest of the uh, Democrat candidates are, are not really doing other than yelling impeach and investigate. But um, Pete uh, Buttigieg is essentially saying, I'm gay and I'm Christian. Therefore, uh, I have the right to condemn and criticize other Christians without fear of reprisal. And I'm going after Mike Pence. Now, Mike Pence, as you know, is a is an evangelical-style Christian. He is very outspoken about his beliefs. He has made no secret of his belief in Scripture, biblical teachings, 
Catholic doctrine, all of which declare, when it comes to matters of marriage, that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's all he's ever said. He has not condemned gay people. He has not declared war on the LGBT community. But that's not what Pete Buttigieg wants you to think. He wants you to think that Mike Pence has condemned and attacked him personally. It's not true. But this is where Buttigieg is trying to make a name for himself. You know, I think people are responding to it because hopefully it's a reminder that all of us deserve an equal claim on the blessings of life in this country. And just because you're LGBTQ doesn't mean it's okay to discriminate against you. I think most people get that. I think most Christians get that. And it's time for us to move on toward a more inclusive and more humane vision of faith than what this vice president represents. It's time to move on to a more inclusive and humane vision of faith than what this vice president represents. This comes, of course, just one day after Buttigieg's first assault on Mike Pence, declaring that Mike Pence has a problem with him personally. Again, reaching out to claim victim status, which is very, very important on the Democrat uh, side right now. He claimed that Mike Pence has a problem with him, and if he does, well, by God, it's not a problem with him. He's got a problem with his creator because he was born this way. Once again, Mike Pence has never spoken of Pete Buttigieg in any way whatsoever with the exception of praising him. That's right, praising him. See, the two have um, shared some, some stages together and some government together because, of course, Pence, the former governor of Indiana, and Buttigieg, the, um, <coughs> excuse me, the mayor of South Bend, they have have shared some uh, some some time together in terms of government at the state level, and the only thing Mike Pence has ever said about Buttigieg has been positive. Matter of fact, the only public comment ever made about the South Bend mayor was to say, "quote I hold Mayor Buttigieg in the highest personal regard." This was in a. Uh, this is something that Mike Pence wrote, actually. Not said, but wrote. So this is the only public comment. I hold Mayor Buttigieg in the highest personal regard, he said in 2015, or wrote in 2015, after Buttigieg declared himself gay. Pence said, I see him as a dedicated public servant and a patriot. End quote. That's not exactly fighting words, is it? Those, 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 are, those are some pretty doggone strong statements of support. For somebody, especially after they just came out and declared themselves publicly gay. Okay, so why is Buttigieg attacking Mike Pence? Why is Buttigieg using this opportunity now that he wants to run for president to attack Mike Pence and say that Mike Pence has a problem with him and we deserve better than the Mike Pences of the world? Because Mike Pence happens to be really Christian and not just saying He's Christian. Pence is Catholic. Pence believes in Scripture, the Bible, Catholic doctrine, historic church teachings. And that means marriage is between a man and a woman. Buttigieg is acting as though Mike Pence is is living in some sort of Muslim theocracy where they stone gay people to death. Like Brunei. He seems to think that Pence is somehow anti-gay person. Pence has never expressed any such thing. 
Pence has simply said that marriage needs to be between a man and a woman. Why? The church and the Bible says so. And of course, sociologically, if we were to look at the building block, the foundation of virtually all advanced civilization, it's based on the family, with a father and a mother uniting to create children and raising those children in the same image, with the same uh, uh, beliefs and and values and family uh, structure, that's what every civilized nation in the history of the world, really every civilization period has been based on the family. Whether they're called tribes back in the day uh, or clans or families, that's what it's based on. And, of course, that happens when man and woman unite. It's just that simple. Mike Pence has said nothing less. Mike Pence has said nothing more. And yet Buttigieg is trying to declare himself to be the victim here. Why? Because victim status, I said it before, victim status gets you more sympathy. If you get more sympathy, you get more support. Separating himself from, I mean, look at it. Kamala Harris is going to use her race as victim status. Cory Booker is going to use his race for victim status. Elizabeth Warren is kind of trying to use the fact that she lied about being Native American as a reason why people are so mean and cruel to me. She's going to try to claim victim status. I mean, this is, you know, if you're if you're anything but straight white male and Christian, you have a reason to say, I've, I'm a victim. If you're a woman, you're a victim of sexism. If you're black, you're a victim of racism. If you're gay, you're a victim of homophobia. If you're Muslim, you're a victim of Islamophobia. Anything other than male, straight, white, and Christian, you can claim victim status. And this is Buttigieg. He's he's got a problem. He's white, and he's Christian, and he's male. So he's over three. No victim status and pity votes for you. No pity or support for you for your victimization. So he's got to go with the one that he's got. Gay. Ah, I'm gay. You look over here. Gay guy here, people hate me for that. You've got to support me. Fight against homophobia. Stand up against the hatred. Support me. Vote for me. I'm gay. That's what this is. Make no mistake about it. Now let's talk about the Christian part. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete as he's known, and again, Hugh Hewitt gave him kind of a, I won't say an endorsement, because uh, Hugh uh, was on MSNBC on uh, Meet the Press on, on Sunday, and Hugh just correctly pointed out that Buttigieg is getting a lot of traction right now. He called him a rocket ship uh, that is that is really quickly rising in the Democrat ranks. That's not an endorsement. It's an acknowledgment of his, um, of his uh, popularity at the moment. Uh, Buttigieg claims to be gay and Christian and is lecturing Mike Pence about how to be better Christian, about how to be more accepting and more tolerant. So, okay, let's put Mayor Pete to the test here since he's going to lecture Mike Pence about how to be a better Christian. All right. Let's put his Christian beliefs to the test, to, to the attest. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Do you support the late-term uh, abortion legislation that was passed in the New York State Legislature uh, as well as in Virginia? I don't think we need more restrictions right now. And, uh, you know, uh, what I've learned in Indiana, being at a place where, uh, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my supporters even come from a different uh, place than I do, uh, being pro-choice, I just believe that when a woman is in that situation, uh, and when we're talking about some of those situations covered by that law, extremely difficult, painful, uh, uh, often medically uh, serious situations where the life or health of the mother is at stake, uh, the involvement of a male government official like me is not helpful. So, in other words, Pete 
the Christian authority, Buttigieg, the man who's going to lecture Mike Pence about Christian values, about inclusiveness, about tolerance, the man who's going to lecture Mike Pence about his version of Christianity doesn't believe that that baby has a right to life. This wasn't even a question about abortion. Pete Buttigieg was asked a question about late-term abortion, the New York-style law that passed and was signed by the ghoul, Andrew Cuomo, and the Virginia-style law that was advanced and promoted by the ghoulish Ralph Northam, talking about abortion right up until the moment of birth. Or in Northam's case, after the moment of birth. Baby's alive. Shouldn't we require medical physicians, doctors on the scene, to provide medical care for that live human being that is laying on the table next to the mother? Nope. Pete Buttigieg's response is, well, it's such a really difficult and desperate time for the mother. I think the last thing that she needs is for a male to step in and, 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 uh, and intervene. It's not my business. You want to be the President of the United States? And your message to the American is that saving the lives of babies who are laying on a table next to a mother that wanted to kill it but failed? Letting that baby die? Denying it medical care? Denying that child medical care? Really, that's what you're saying? And you're going to tell us? that your brand of Christianity is superior to Mike Pence's? You're going to criticize and castigate Mike Pence for daring to believe in Scripture in your never-ending attempt to gain victim status among Democrats? You're willing, seriously, Mayor Pete, to lecture a Christian while you hold the most anti-Christian of beliefs that babies don't deserve to live even when they are born outside the womb, born and delivered, you don't think they deserve deserve medical care because you don't think it would be right for males to intervene in situations that are between a female and her doctors? Which, by the way, of course, if you saw the movie Unplanned, you would use that word in air quotes, doctors, ghouls, uh, those who exterminate life those who violate their Hippocratic Oath with every single procedure, which begins, first, do no harm, as they then do harm to lives. But that's where Pete Buttigieg is. Please understand this. He is rising. He is getting a lot more uh, attention. And he's telling Mike Pence, if you've got a problem with me being gay, you have a problem with my creator. I was born this way. You should be more inclusive. You should be more, uh, you should be more welcoming and more tolerant. Meanwhile, Mike Pence is over here going, I've never said a word about you other than I hold you in the highest personal regard. And I see him as a dedicated public servant and patriot. Why are you attacking me? And we know why. White, straight, Male Christians are the enemy. They're the enemy of the left. They're the enemy of the demon rat party. Especially those who believe in pro-life policies. They're the enemy of the pods, which is the party of death. And Pete Buttigieg wants to go on the attack 
on those who would oppose uh, their their lethal policies. And he's going to try to take a Christian moral high ground in the process. It's really quite a dubious feat. If you can pull that off, by the way, I guess I do have to kind of give you credit. If you can pull off saying that I'm for the death of babies who are full term or who are post-birth, I'm for the death of the babies if that's what the mom wants, and then say, I'm a better Christian than you because I believe in gay marriage, if you can pull that off and have people buy it, i got to tip the cap to you. That's pretty doggone impressive, Pete. Good luck. I'm a Christian, and I believe babies should be killed if mom says so. Okay, good luck with that. 951, right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, nine fifty-six now. Short segment here before the top of the hour. I want to, uh, I want to address Cory Booker. <laughs> Why? Because somebody needs to address Cory Booker. Cory Booker yesterday became well, just the latest and maybe the most vocal. But all of them are doing this. All of the Democrats who are declared candidates for president are all about reparations, 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 reparations. Uh, Booker is um, is the strongest now on record to call for full-on reparations for the descendants of slaves in the United States. In other words, give benefits to people who were never enslaved and take those benefits from the paychecks of people who never enslaved anyone. Um I've been having a discussion about this off the air with someone that uh, I have a great deal of respect for, but quite frankly, just does not get this. Um, And so I put it this way on Facebook last night. Find me a man alive who is enslaved in America, by America, under American law, and we can talk about how much he's owed. Then find me a man alive who enslaved that first man, and we can talk about collecting reparations from him. Short of that, if you can't find either one of those two men, this issue is a dead issue. This issue should never be raised again. And the sad part is, those who are raising it are using it only for their own political gain, because they know full well that it cannot happen, it would not happen, it will not happen. They know it's impossible to make happen, But they want black votes. Black candidates and white candidates calling for reparations. Doesn't matter what color they are. They want votes from the black community. They know that if they don't get 93-plus percent of the black vote, they lose elections. It's just that simple. And so teasing and holding these things out there as a carrot in front of black people saying, we're going to get you free money if you're the descendant of of a slave, is a great way for them to say, all right, you got my vote. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And quite frankly, it's insulting. Every one of these demon rat, party of death, Democrats, uh, um, uh, candidates, are insulting the black population by telling them, we're going to give you free money if you vote for me. Reparations, reparations, reparations. It's insulting. 
I mean, honestly, if I, if I was an African-American, I would be insulted by the fact that they think I'm going to fall for this stupid stuff. It's ridiculous. First of all, I wasn't enslaved. I'm not owed anything. I have a great opportunity in front of me that ancestors of, of, of mine, or maybe or maybe not mine, never had. What do, you, what do you owe me anything? If you owe anybody anything, you owe it to them, and they're gone, so let's all get moving forward here. The black population is smarter than that. These Democrat candidates for president think they're stupid. I want to read one quote or one comment from a Facebook friend of mine, Anthony Starks, who responded to my reparations. He's a black guy who responded to my rep, uh, reparations uh, uh, Facebook post yesterday. I want to read it to you now and see if you have any thoughts on it. Anthony wrote, here's the real and full argument, Bob France. First, not all people of African descent living in this country were slaves, former slaves, or descendants of former slaves. Should their descendants get reparations? Some people of African descent immigrated here after the Civil War. Should their descendants get reparations? Some people of African descent owned slaves themselves. Should their descendants get reparations? Some people of African descent were slaves their whole lives, while others were slaves for only part of their lives before the end of the Civil War. Should their descendants get equal reparations? Not all slaves perform the same tasks. Is the value of their labor equal? And should their descendants thus be compensated equally? Lastly, what was menial labor worth in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries? Such a brilliant point. Anthony, again, he's a black guy, is spot on. The notion and the idea of reparations for descendants descendants of slaves is absolutely ridiculous because of all of the questions he just correctly pointed out. Even if you felt like something should be done, it's impossible to do it right, fairly and equally. And it's even more impossible to do it fairly and equally to white people who would be surrendering their land, their goods, or their money to pay reparations for sins that they themselves never committed. Thank you, Anthony, for that great response. Peter Kersenow joins us after the news on AM 1420. The Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.